Well, God bless you. Good morning. Uh, we have a special service today, if you couldn't tell. We've got some chairs up here, and we're going to be doing kind of a uh, little bit of a panel conversation. I'm going to ask our board to join us on stage. Give them a big hand. <laughs> Pastor Jamie, a big fan of the board. <laughs> uh, Brylin who's one of our board members. Uh, she's been traveling a ton for work and uh, finally gets to spend a weekend with her uh, family after many, many weeks. So they snuck off to Disney. So we're going to give her a pass for not being here today. Uh, I'm just going to hand you guys these and we'll use those in just a second. <clears throat> so we are in a series right now called I Hate This. And the idea is that uh, we cannot avoid um, seasons, instances, moments, circumstances that we hate. And uh, Jesus himself said, we'll never be able to take a path. We'll never be able to take a path in life that does not intersect with pain, with suffering, with hurt, with difficulty or with discomfort. And instead of us working diligently to try and escape those things, um, maybe we turn that energy, that attentiveness, that, that uh, intentionality into finding the blessings that don't come after the suffering and discomfort, but come as a result, that come from it, that God doesn't cause the pain, but God always uses those moments. And he has littered our suffering with blessing. And I wanted to have, uh, we just had a board meeting a couple weeks ago and we were talking about some stuff and we are, we primarily operate together in the stewardship of uh, the resources God brings through Summit. And so we talk a lot about finances and how to use those finances in the best way possible. And um, it wasn't the report um, that I get excited about. And I started feeling that old stress and that old discomfort uh, that I felt when I first took over. And I started getting um, uh, fidgety and controlling like I do when I feel like I need to act in order to bring things right. And I started getting pushback from these guys like I do. <clears throat> and uh, Brett included in these guys, I'll be singular gender in my guy's comments. Okay. So, um, and each one of them had something encouraging and thoughtful and strategic and uh, faith filled to say that helped counter my reaction to going through a season in church leadership with resources that I hate, right? I hate the effect that the pandemic has had on our church. Churches across the nation have lost approximately 40 to 50% of their weekend attendance. Most churches have not recovered from that. The ones that have uh, statistically are ones that leaned heavily into the politics of the pandemic and they gained a political rally, essentially. So churches like us, we uh, hang out in that same space. And as a result, giving is affected by that. And as a result... Um, it starts making me feel a certain way. And I said in this board meeting, why don't we, I want to bring you guys up and we're just going to talk like we talk in a board meeting and, and rehearse some of the things 
that we rehearse in every board meeting where I rant about things and they smile and nod their heads and then give perspective. And it helps shape my faith from that moment on because I trust these guys. So what I first want you guys to do is just introduce yourself. Um, say what you, you do, um, because I kind of want, for those who don't know who you are, um, I want them to see just that we've sort of assembled some really uh, sharp people and, uh, and maybe say how long you've been on the board too, or at Summit and on the board. Drew, you got a mic? You can, or Mike, 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 Mike. Great. Um, yeah. So let's see. I've been going to Summit since 1999. 23 uh, years for those who can't do math. Life. Yeah. So um, anyway, I've uh, been on the board. I actually don't know the number of years. Six. I don't know. Something like that. Um, that was the two questions. Uh, oh, what and I what do you do? I own a business here in town. That's what I do. Yeah. One Nest Real Estate is the business he owns, yeah. <laughs> and property management. And... Oh, Drew Bartlett. Sorry. Drew Bartlett. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm Dwight Johnson. Uh, we started, my wife and I started going to Heritage in 2004. So 18 years in October we've been here. Um, I joined the board just a couple of months after Pastor Chris took over as our lead pastor. So... I've been hanging out on the board for that long. Yeah. And I'm retired now, praise God. <laughs> but I was a business owner as well. Uh, my name's Mike Hobson. Uh, my wife and I, uh, Heather, had been attending uh, Heritage and then Summit since uh, around 2002, maybe. Um, and then uh, Drew and I came onto the board around the same time. I think it's been about 10 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's gone. It's flown by for yeah. Drew. So <laughs> and, uh, by profession, I'm a, uh, a mortgage lender. Okay. And my so you can buy a home and get a loan <laughs> and, and he can finish your pool for you. <laughs> my name is Eric Brumfield. Uh, my wife, Chelsea and I and our two daughters have been attending summit since 2012. Um, and I've been on the board, I want to say about six or seven years. I can't remember exactly when. Um, and I am an attorney. Um, so some of you guys have been here. Um, Dwight, you have. Drew, you have. Um, from the time I, I took over as lead pastor. And you maybe remember a little bit of the finances uh, back then. And... Um, Dwight, you, I mean, you, you definitely remember some of the, um, give, give these guys a landscape of like what, what our debt looked like, what our, what things looked like when you first came on the board. Yeah. When I first came on the board, it was, um, Pastor Chris was really stressed out. It was a very stressful time because, um, just prior to him coming on as lead pastor, the, the tithes were way up. So it dropped off like 60 to 70%. So he gets handed a congregation and a church. This was during the recession I took over the 08, 07, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so it wasn't because of me that it, people were like, Eesh. no, it was that a sign from God? You shouldn't have been, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was hard. It was a hard time. And, and I'm thankful to God that he, that he gave us a pastor that is so good at finances and 
took control of that. But there was there was a couple million dollars in debt that, you know, that we had no no way of really trying to figure out how to wrap our minds around. Somebody want to get that? <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 taken it's taken a long time, and there was a lot of maturity and growth that had to happen in in that time, and and it was a struggle, but but God was there the whole time and and giving us giving us things as we needed them and depending on God for everything that came in because when there's very little coming in mm -hmm. it's pretty hard to stretch that dollar and to give you guys a little bit of a um context we were part of a denomination we were required to give 10% of our tithes and offerings to the denomination <clears throat> we had a $17,000 mortgage on a 2.6 million dollar loan all of that that uh, was there when I took over. And uh, we went through the Great Recession, and it wasn't possible to do all of those things. And so uh, it felt like it was almost impossible to do ministry. Um, we had to, in that time, really begin to choose where our dollars went because we couldn't we couldn't do all of this. And so we, as it, back then it was uh, considered a council um, because we we're under this denomination, but we began to decide that it wasn't appropriate to give away money to a denomination and to a mortgage that was not enabling us to continue and thrive as a church. And so we started working diligently over the course of years to change that. And so we what was it, seven years ago or so, came out from underneath, eight years ago, came out from underneath the denomination. And in doing so, it allowed us to start um, telling dollars where they needed to go. And we were able to start spending on ministry and staff. <clears throat> That's how we ended up here, for those who don't know. We used to own the theater where Emmaus Church is in downtown Lincoln. Well, when I say we, the denomination owned it. So when we left the denomination, you leave behind property too. You don't get to keep any of that. It was all uh, theirs. We held, the, we held the payment, they held the title. So even if we had walked in with $2.6 million, paid that off and the 20 acres that we had, we wouldn't have owned anything. And at any point they could have just changed leadership. And so there are some things we had to decide as, as leadership. So currently though, um, we, we, and, and the really fantastic thing was, Drew, what, like what percentage were we probably, we were bringing in uh, tithes and offerings, we were paying staff, doing ministry, paying for facilities, and still putting what percentage do you think away for like years, for the last seven or so years? Do oh, you, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, in the last. Yeah, I would say a quarter. Okay, 20-25% yeah. yeah. we were able to put away. Right. So um, over the pandemic, our giving has been affected by what percentage then? Drew's the, the treasurer of the board. That's why I'm asking him. The, um, yeah, no, um, it's about a quarter. Okay. So um, you can see how that uh, works. Now, um, as a result of that, uh, my temptation is, to want to start shaving, squeezing, uh, clinching, <laughs> right? Um, 
And I start getting nervous because when I first took over, uh, you know, a family would transition out. Pastor, it's not you. It's not, it's not you. We just feel the Lord's leading us to go somewhere else where you're not. And then they would, um, <laughs> would go. So which happens two years of attrition, they say, when a, when a founding pastor leaves. And, and uh, so I would ask uh, Joy Laws, who uh, was a business administrator, and I said, uh, hey, just to give me a ballpark of what their giving was. Oh, they were giving this much a month. And then I would try to cut that much a month, figure out somewhere to do it. And God, he said, oh, you're going to do that. And then he just made sure that like money just kept going out so that I couldn't keep up because I think he needed me to feel completely helpless and trust him, right? So um, our attendance, like everybody else, is down uh, 45% or so, and our giving has been impacted um, by about um, the number you just shared. Yeah. And um, interestingly, though, I, I find that uh, one of the questions we get asked most and it's interesting to me because I think this provides people a sense of security is, can you guess the question we get asked most? Eric, what do you think the question is? When are we going to find a building? <laughs> <laughs> when are we moving? Right, right. And uh, you guys, one of you speak to like just what we've done over the last seven years on, on buildings. Um, so we have really tried to, um, I think the main thing is, that you, everyone understands in a perfect world, we would love to be in our own building, right? Um, we would love that. Um, if you're not in that situation, that means you need to make a choice between a building and investing in people and ministry, right? And I think from the back in the days before when we were under the other domination and everything and, and moved out of the, the theater, we as a board had made a decision that we would invest in the people of Lincoln um, staff and the people of Lincoln in our community and all of you, um, as opposed to writing a big check to a bank. And so, um, but within that, we've been putting aside, we've been putting aside money and we said, hey, let's see, we need to know what's out there. We are praying and waiting on God to provide that scenario. Um, and so we've been out looking at different properties, spent time with all of these different commercial brokers and trying to get their help and going out and doing that, um, turning over all of those rocks. And um, it has not been for a lack of trying, I'll tell you that. Um, but again, we've had this mindset that is, if the Lord's gonna provide the perfect building that allows us to then still continue to maximize ministry and outreach in the Lincoln community, then that is amazing. And that's the perfect scenario that only he can provide. Um, and so we are praying for that we were also working like crazy to try and find that situation, right? And have our eyes open to that. And so, um, and, and I think too, it's probably important for people to maybe wrap their heads around what it takes just to do what we're doing here. Um, we spend, uh, give a number on what we spend on facilities. That's renting this, renting the school, which is a different lease, renting storage, which we have to have, renting our offices and um, our setup crew who sets this up every Saturday night and then breaks it down as soon as you leave 
we spend it's about what? $13,000 a month. Right. So uh, a mortgage on a building that could facilitate our size and the potential to grow would probably be... Um, this was before rates went up, but it would be about 22000 Right. So you can see that adding $9,000 when we are already razor thin on, right, what we bring in and tithes and offerings and what we spend on ministry. Um, we, you know, just to give you an example, the songs you sing, do you know we pay for those every week? Yeah, those are royalties. The artist wrote those and they get paid. And we have to pay a company called CCLI who pays the artist to use those. And of course, ethically and morally, we want everybody to get paid for their work. And so we pay fees for them to do that. We pay extraordinarily high workman's comp because of the setup team. Um, we have to ensure this building, our offices, the storage units that we're in, the school, every time we run a facility, we have to carry rider policies on those. Um, it just helps maybe understand uh, we pay a cleaning company because the cleaning company of the city is not great. We pay a cleaning company to come in after them clean the building, then clean after we're here so that the city gets a clean building back, right? Um, the conference table that's in that room over there because we have to move it out for our classroom, we had to buy a portable one, it's broken now, so we have to buy another conference table. We have to buy dividers for the room and you go, why don't we make the city? You, I would love to hire you temporarily to get the city to do anything at all and get it done in the next 10 years. Okay. So uh, we want to have a quality ministry and safe environment for our kids. And it costs money every single week to do something. Uh, these projectors need replacing and we are just holding out because I won't even tell you what a projector like this cost. Right? So, uh, I heard a quote and I loved it. Pastor Jamie passed it on to me. And it, th there's a pastor of one of, uh, everybody heard of Andy Stanley? So he's got North Point and one of his campuses runs about 5,000 people. They meet in a high school and they set up 40 classrooms, a cafeteria and a gymnasium every single week for 5,000 people. And the thing he said was, it's a challenge for me to get the staff and the people to own the vision without owning the facility. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, it exhausts me to even think about the idea of trying to get believers and followers of Christ to believe more in the idea of reaching the lost, helping restore marriages, helping walk people like Jeremiah through their darkest times, that it's hard to think about trying to convince anyone that that's the more important thing. And we have to have doubt because at this point, if we had a mortgage payment, we would have to lay people off. We wouldn't have a choice at this point. And that's what companies, the biggest, wealthiest companies in the world right now are laying people off. And um, let me ask you guys before uh, we sort of close this, anything you want to share from your perspective. You're in all of those meetings. You guys are the ones often challenging me to take a different perspective. Um, uh, somebody can tell them about uh, the question I asked about Convoy of Hope and what you told me to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm laying it all out for you guys. Just to let you know, I'm not, <clears throat> I don't float six inches off the ground. I'm not very saintly most so of the time. So the first of the year, 
Um, Pastor Chris brought to us the, this, um, introduced us basically to Convoy of Hope and uh, showed us the value of what Convoy of Hope was doing. Now, <clears throat> this was before Russia invaded Ukraine and every, that whole, it brought everybody's attention to some of the things that they do, but um, it was like, okay, well, this is, this is good, this is valuable. God's not giving us the, the direction for a building. We've got some resources. Uh, we've got, uh, let's, let's go ahead. And the, there was a, a figure tossed out uh, that was four figures, yeah. right? Like, let, let's, let's do that. Let's get behind that. And then there was a pause. And it was like, well, wait a minute. This is God's money from God's people for God's purposes. Why are we limiting what God can do with his resources? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, that number that was floated initially was made tenfold. Yeah. Because that's what God can do. And when we have the faith <clears throat> as believers to walk in the path that God has made clear for us, Maybe we can only take one step. Maybe we can take two steps. We can't see beyond that. But if we know that God is illuminating our path, then we don't have anything to worry about it because it's all his, right? So these are the kinds of discussions that we have, and the result of that was? Well, the result was uh, this last board meeting, I said, hey, should we send the total amount to convoy? <laughs> like... We had given everything the church had given because we had promised some as a board, just taking resources that were, we had set aside from surplus. And then you guys gave generously and we have given everything that you've given. And I said, do we still want to give the rest? Like, this is the time to change our minds. And the board's like, uh, what did you tell Convoy? And I said, well, I said we'd give the full amount. <laughs> and I was like, but we can change our mind. Like, what are they going to do about it, right? And they're like, yeah, so I think we should just go ahead and give that, right? And I was like, well, I don't know. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, me, I personally would give it, but you guys, I know how, you know, stingy you can get when money's tight. And, uh, they just want, this is our commitment. We made this commitment by faith and we're not going to stop doing the importance of ministry because we're starting to feel a little bit nervous about things. And uh, I need that in my life. I need someone to help me see that um, what we do here is not what Facebook or Twitter or these companies that are all about bottom line that we're not about that, that we are about doing ministry here in this community, right here in this building. We're about doing ministry in this city and we're about doing ministry globally and that God has blessed us with, uh, I go back to the time when Lisa and I left Arizona and we had no job. We had no income. And for almost a year, I didn't take a single dollar into the home. But God had allowed us to sell our home for an exponential amount uh, over what we paid for it just seven, eight months prior to that. And we had all of that. 
And I was so fixed on getting more in that I neglected to see that God had provided a salary for me to just be with my family and do the things that we wanted to do. And I didn't need to do more. He had already provided that. And so here we have this money to give to convoy and to do ministry. And, um, that's exactly what we've committed to do is for the next year, we're committed to pressing the pedal and not pulling back on ministry, but further investing in ministry. But I want to challenge you if I can for just seven minutes or so, eight minutes. Would you give these guys a big hand? I'll let them go sit down. You guys don't even need to bring my table up. I'll just use my uh, stool. So whoever was, um, yeah, if you don't mind the monitor, please Um, grab your notes, if you will. And I'm just going to honestly move through this. Um, and encourage you because I want um, maybe what I've been working through to help you work through some of what you're feeling. Um, I hate the economy, or at least hate the economy the way it's being described. Because it's inflation and recession, complete ruin, right? It's this, you can't escape the idea, the concept that everything is falling apart. Because all you had to do is sort of listen to politicians as we came up to the midterm elections. And it was one of two things. It was one party saying everything's fine. It, the, the, the economy's uh, got a hiccup, but it's doing well and it's moving in the right direction. You got the other party who makes it sound like we're going to be living in caves and cooking over open fires within the year, right? That we're going to lose everything. And if you listen to the news, Every single news uh, broadcast, if it's local, if it's national, if it's cable, if it's uh, 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 written, if it's online, it's about inflation. It's about recession. And what I find fascinating is they can't even get the experts to agree on whether or not we are actually in a recession. And those who say we're not say we will be. So if you're not worried right now because we're not in a recession, we want you to be worried because we will be in a recession. And I think it's interesting that the people in power and the people who are communicating to us have chosen a narrative of fear. And they've chosen to stress us out. Do you know why? Because fear motivates us to watch, to listen, to do extreme things. Politicians want you to vote a particular way because you're afraid. The news wants you to watch and sponsors to pay them for viewership because they get you to stay in front of the TV and allow yourself to be washed over with the fears of the world. But here's what I want to challenge us today in this series is that you and I as Christ followers have to be listening to a different narrative. We have to be putting our faith somewhere else because this is super important. Everyone that's talking about the economy is putting their faith in something. They put it in job reports. They put it in earnings reports. They put it in inflation reports. They put, if you watched the market earlier this week, it soared by a thousand points in a day on the report that inflation was not quite as bad as they thought it was going to be, but it will plummet the next day based on reports that, uh, that uh, joblessness has increased by a half percent or 
something. These people are all anticipating something happening. And when they anticipate it, all their, all their enthusiasm and all their dollars follow their anticipation. And then when they anticipate something tragic happening, they begin to sell off and all their dollars in the market plummets. You are watching in real time, the faith of people who have decided that their God is money. But you and I, as followers of Christ, have committed ourselves to a different system of faith. Listen to what Proverbs eleven twenty four through 12, 25 says. It says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and you'll lose everything. The generous will prosper and those who refresh others, they themselves will be refreshed. That's the mind of someone who's trusted God for their provision because in an economy where people are telling you stock up on food, do this, do that, because if pull your money out, buy bonds, do this, put your money in gold because they're fear-based because they put their faith in something completely different. They're telling you to pull back and hold on. And I got to be honest with you, that sings to my soul. As a guy who's trying to move us as a church through a difficult season financially, it sings to my soul that we should pull back that we should cut here and cut there. And I appreciate having wise men and women around me who will speak to that and say, but don't forget God says differently. Because I want to tell you what turned our church around in the worst of our finances. We were, when I took over, 60,000 in outstanding bills and about 80,000 in internal debt. We owed ourselves that money from taking from different departments and things like that just to pay bills. And in the first year I had moved finances in the right direction. And we had about maybe in the first two years, about 80,000 in the bank. And I thought, oh my gosh, we are the wealthiest church in America. We can do anything. We're so safe right now. But we struggled for several years. And it was very, very difficult to do church that way. And I want to tell you what changed things. I finally decided that I can't let people's weirdness about money dictate my ability to teach God's word about money. So we introduced the blessed life. And we did a series on the blessed life and we bought, when we couldn't afford to do it, bought every single person in the church a copy of the blessed life. Giving from you exponentially changed and that's what enabled us to move from a place where we were operating in debt and operating on a hairstring budget to being able to do ministry, to be able to say yes to things we couldn't say yes to before, to be able to staff our church in a way that families, their needs were being met and cared for. Things changed and we were able to put money away every single month so that if there was an opportunity for a property, if there was an opportunity for us to give money to a worthwhile ministry cause, because just in our own body, we've spent about $20,000 this year on helping, oh, actually in excess of that, probably about $25,000 this year in helping people go through counseling and helping people recover uh, and, and go through cancer treatments in putting money back into our congregation to help people right where they're at. And we'll give $70,000 this year to Convoy of Hope. That's exciting too. 
The way we do that, though, is for every single believer to decide what your heart, your mind, and your attitude is towards this economy or any other economy. Because I'll tell you, I'm a lot less stressed when we're putting 25% away instead of when we are losing money every month and we have to pull into that surplus. So this message is for me. I'd appreciate it if you'd listen in. Tell me if I did a good job, okay? I choose to prosper through any economy by number one, and this is gonna go so fast so you don't need to sweat. Cheating on fear by starting a love affair with prayer. If you decide who you love, who you trust, um, and uh, who you go to first, it is the one you're spending the most time with. Like you may be married um, to your spouse, but I promise you if you're spending all of your time and your, your, your conversations and your affections and everything else are going to someone else, you're, you're, you're cheating, right? You, you have a love affair somewhere else and you're not being faithful. But to be really honest with you, I think most of us are married into fear. And we spend a ton of time with fear. And we allow things to feed fear. We go on date nights with fear and we sit and we talk to fear and we listen to fear and we stroke the hair of fear. And we love fear because fear, I don't know, it makes us feel like we're involved. Because when you fear, you start doing stuff. I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this and this, and then you feel like you're in control and we all love to feel like we're in control. But I wanna encourage you to cheat. Cheat on your marriage to fear, go start a passionate, unapologetic long-term love affair with prayer because it's gonna take you out of the toxic, cancerous effects of fear. Listen to what Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, don't spend time with this. Instead of that, spend time with this. Pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. I love that. Take that worry and beat it up until it becomes a prayer. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry in the center of your life. You wanna know what displacement is? Fill your tub to the very top and then sit in it. And you're going to watch all that water splash over the side. And that's called displacement. And when the peace of God settles in that bathtub of fear, you're going to watch fear spill over and be displaced. Number two is this. I choose to prosper through any economy by having more faith in the promises of God than I do in the lies of money. So listen, every one of us thinks we have this really healthy, balanced, and maybe even godly relationship with money. And I would say that 90% of you, if not all of you, would say, well, I definitely don't love money. And I, maybe I'll believe you. I don't think I do. Because I, at the very least, have a a strong fondness for money. (laughs) I'm, I'm very much in like with money. And it borders on love all of the time. Here's how I know that to be true. I don't want it to be true, but here's how I know that to be true. If a big bill comes up, do you like taking money from savings or taking it out of your 401k? And I mean a big expense, 
or maybe even having to go into debt, does that make you feel good? Absolutely not, it makes you feel terrible, you hate that. And if you had, someone goes, I'll give you a large amount of money to take care of that, would that make you feel happy? The answer is yes, because you love what money does. I know you love money because I know that like me, you at least paused once recently and thought about what you would do with the $2 billion, (laughs) mega million, whatever that one's called. Some of you, I saw it on Facebook, you said you'd buy the church a building. I love it. I've negotiated all of that with God. Trust me, you're not gonna out-tithe me on the $2 billion. I'm like, Lord, I'll give you half, 50% tithe. I'll do 90% tithe. Just let me win the two bi- and we only get to keep 1.4 billion. I'm like, I think I can squeak by. Because, now, that's what your life looks like. You win the $2 billion and you're thinking, what would I do with that? How would my life improve? What would I, I would buy my kids a house? I would put money aside, I'd give to charity, I'd buy the church building, I'd do all this stuff. And now come back to the reality of the economy in 2022 and tell me, do you feel as confident about your future as you do with the idea of having $2 billion lottery winnings? And the answer is, no, you don't. Because we all feel better when we have more money and we feel worse when we have less. And that means you and I, at the very least, love what money does. And so when we hear scriptures that are talking about the love of money, it's hard for you and I to disassociate ourselves. Listen to what it says in Luke. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I want you to think about the crows flying over there and do they plant and harvest crops? Do they own silos? Do they save up? Do they have barns where they store everything? Look at them fly. It looks like God's taking pretty good care of them, doesn't it? They're just flying and living life. Remember that you are more precious to God than the birds. Jesus was addressing what he knew every single one of us worried about, and that is provision in our life. Listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Those who love money will never be satisfied. This is, by the way, written by Solomon, David's son, who is a billionaire. Those who love money will never be satisfied with money, and those who love riches will never be happy with what they have. This, too, is fleeting. Here's what he's saying. If you believe that having all of this makes you happy, if you believe that you're satisfied and content because you have more, you're absolutely wrong. And he spoke from a position of absolute authority on that subject. Because money tells us the lie that the more we have of it, the more of the whole of faith that we can fill but I promise you this, every billionaire wonders what it's gonna look like when the billions get taken away. Kanye, who's going through a thing right now, not going through a good season in his life, just lost a nearly $2 billion endorsement with Adidas. That's how quick his wealth changed. He just said something he shouldn't have said, he doubled down on it, didn't think Adidas would take away his endorsement, and they did, and his billions are gone. Elon Musk floated the idea of buying Twitter. They called him on his bluff. He had to come up with $44 billion to buy Twitter. 
he had to sell off billions of his own stock into something that we all know isn't profitable. Wealth can come and go. Listen to Hebrews 13, 5. It says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and what money can do for you and the idea that money can save you and be content with what you have because he has said, I will never leave you and I will always be by your side. That's a promise of God and money can promise you absolutely nothing because money is fleeting, but the promises of God are forever. And third and finally is this, sowing with generosity. I choose to prosper through any economy by sowing with generosity when I'm tempted to save the seed. Every farmer who's ever planted banks on, trusts that, hopes that, Putting that seed into the ground is going to produce crop because if he gives up all of that seed and puts it in the ground and it produces nothing, he is in ruin. But the one who throws a seed down and sows generously will reap generously. Over and over and over, Jesus used that analogy to farmers that he was speaking with and he said, you know this to be true. If you put lots of seed into the ground, you'll get lots of harvest back. But if you're stingy in your sowing, you're gonna get a very small crop. I love the story Jesus shares in Luke 21, one through four. While Jesus was in the temple, He watched the rich people dropping their gifts into the collection box, giving offering. They would often place it at the very front and you would come as an act of worship at the altar, lay down your offering. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins, the equivalent of just a few cents. And Jesus said to those who were with him, I tell you this, that this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. And here's why. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. And that's, I'm afraid, too often the way I think when things start getting tight and I start getting nervous, I start asking the question, can I afford to do this? Can we as a church afford to do this? And what I'm really asking is, can we do this and it not affect us? Can we still have as much as we started with? Can we still have plenty left over? What if, what if God's idea of why we were able to store a surplus was different than my idea? Because I've got all my ideas on what we could do with that and what we should do with it. And you see, when Lisa and I were out of work for that year that we came back right before we started here, I had ideas of what I wanted to do with that money. So I didn't want to touch any of that. I wanted just more to come in. I didn't want to trust God. I wanted to trust a paycheck and have savings to fall back on if the paycheck was. I had all my ideas. And I want you to hear this. We as a body are only as effective as you as an individual. This statistic is true of us, and it's true of the church nationally. Only about 20% of our church gives in a tithe. That's 10%. Um, About 50% give I believe less than about 
2,000 a year, 1,000 a year. Um, I, I don't tell you that because to make you angry, because if you picture a table in which 100 people are feasting and 20 people brought the food for that, it can be frustrating or somebody brought a can of Coke and you brought a lasagna and they're eating your lasagna and drinking their Coke, <laughs> you go, wait, that's not fair. Um, we kind of get mad when we think of the, the, that government works like that and it's a welfare system and there's lots of taxpayers and then there's people that just kind of glean off those. And there are, there are people that just will never, will never commit to getting involved. They don't, in, they don't put themselves in. They don't serve here. They don't uh, give here. They don't do. There's going to be those that do that, that come soak up air conditioning therms, eat the donut, have coffee, flush the toilet and walk out and not contribute anything. And then there are those like Dwight Johnson, who he was young in his walk with Christ when he first started coming to Heritage, had been in it for, I think, Dwight, maybe you can correct me, seven years or so. He said, I didn't know I was supposed to tithe as a Christian. I, nobody, nobody had said anything. He goes, and then Pastor Darren preached a message and, on tithing, and I went, oh, okay. And he started tithing. And he started watching the blessings of God come. And as a business owner, he never knew when his next contract would be, uh, when he would win a bid and get a contract. And he lived by faith, just like Drew does, all you business owners. These guys, I'm telling you, our board are, are the, genuinely the most genuine, generous people on, in the church, which might give you confidence in how we steward money is they contribute, they give on a level of generosity that, that inspires me. Those who do tithe, statistically tithe 11 to 20%. That should tell you the reward of tithing. The blessing of tithing is that people double down on it and go, I'm giving more. Dwight once told me, he said, I never really truly started experiencing the exceptional blessings of God until I started giving in a way that made me nervous. And I got scared about the giving. And I just want you to hear this, that there are practical ways in order for you to extend your faith. I'm gonna close with this passage right here and it's Paul writing to a church and uh, he's writing to the church in Philippi. And he says, what Epaphroditus delivered to me from your generous pockets, I've, uh, even been I've even been blessed in excess. I'm fully satisfied. You see, they supported their pastor and through their tithes and offerings. I know God is pleased with your dedication and accepts this gift as a fragrant offering, a holy sacrifice on his behalf. And know this, I love this. My God will also fill every need you have according to his glorious riches and Jesus the anointed, our liberating king. Paul said this, you gave an offering that helped me continue to do ministry and I want you to hear that because you gave, it doesn't mean you have less, it means that you have positioned yourself for the further blessing and provision of God. We've got to get out of the idea in our heads that when we give, we've lost. 
When we give, we gain. We position ourselves in a posture of faith. We say to God, it's yours in the beginning. It's yours through the giving, and it's yours when you provide for me. I'm just giving back to you what belongs to you, and you give back to me, God, what you can trust me with. Amen? And I gotta tell you, if you wanna be blessed, you can't not trust God. I wanna see our church exceed and excel beyond national expectations. I wanna see us grow in our faith so that we can grow our community. Because listen, we can bring family after family after family here, but if we aren't practicing the maturity and the health of the body of Christ, what do we have to teach them? What do we have to give to them? What do we have to challenge and inspire them with? If we're just gonna be as fearful and as reluctant and as hesitant as they are in an economy like this, why even bring them in? We have to be a force of faith in this community. Father, I pray over this congregation, this assembly of brothers and sisters in Christ, this community of loving, raw, real people who are fighting like I am to push our way through doubt, through fear, through stress, through anxiety, and come out on the other end of this, God, full of faith, believing in you for our provision. I'm praying, God, that not that they get blessed this week and they say, oh, wow, now I can finally give, now I can finally trust you, but rather, God, they would step into a place where they say, I trust you, God, when there's no evidence to do so, and I believe in Jesus' name that you're going to be a keeper of your promises. And Lord, you said, test us in this, test us, or test you in this, and you said we could do that. It's the one time, God, you invite us to test you, and I pray in Jesus' name that those who aren't yet trusting you would test you, test you, and find out if you aren't a keeper of your promises so that this body can be a force, not just in Lincoln, not just in California, but across the globe because of our faith and our obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.